Welcome to another episode of Racial Equity in Richmond, which is a component of the Richmond Racial Equity Essays Project. I'm your host, Ebony Walden, and today I'm here with Ted Edmore and Cherie Shannon, which are our two guests that I'm excited to talk to today. So before we jump into the conversation about your vision for racial equity in Richmond and how do we get there, why don't y'all just take a couple minutes to introduce to us who you are, what you do in the daytime, and how long have you lived here in our great city of Richmond? Well, thank you so much, Ebony, for for having me. Um, During the day, I am the owner and director of Shannon Strategies, which is a communications firm that specializes in campaigns for the greater good. So uh, if you're on Twitter, you probably have just seen me tweeting a lot about politics because that is that is my wheelhouse. Um, Yes, yes. Policy and politics. That's that's what I do day in, day out. But it ties perfectly into my other work in the environmental field in which I am the co-founder of Southside Relief with Amy Wentz, in which we focus on greening and beautifying South Richmond. Renaissance woman. She's like, I have about five titles here. So. I need a map. That's, that's, that's what that means. <laughs> I love it. That means you're doing things and living your purpose. What about you, Ted? Give us a quick intro. Yeah, thank, I'll, I'll echo the thank you so much for having me, and it's a particularly uh, enriching to to do this conversation with y'all, both of whom I've learned quite a bit um, about our city and about how we move forward. So thankful to be here. Yeah, my name is Ted Elmore. I am a former partner in a law firm here in town called Hunt and Williams, which I up and left a few years ago, walked out the door uh, to work on this project called Bridge Park, uh, which is a um, effort to create a public gathering space that that crosses the James River that brings us together. uh, And that at its grandest scale starts to tackle some of the historic inequities uh, within both the storytelling culture, but also the physical built environment. So uh, maybe more to come on that, but again, very thankful to be here and um, good to see you both. Yes, and so on the greening front, that I would imagine that's how you're, you intersect. Tell me how y'all met or how y'all know one another. That's actually a really good question, Ted. How how did you learn about me? Like, how did that connection happen? I feel like enrichment is such a small community, and so like everybody knows everybody, especially if you're trying to do something good. Um, and I think it may have been a little bit kismet because I used to live with uh, Ann Westbrook, who's on the board for Bridge Park. Okay. And I guess a little birdie may have floated over your way. And that's at least that's my telling of the story. <laughs> yeah, I think actually uh, Daniel Klein was the first one to introduce ah, us. Okay. Because I had sort of admired you know, your presence in the in the in the community and your voice, and I'd sort of, uh, I mean, I'd sort of like you. I sort of shot, sought Cherie out uh, and said, "I want to, I want to know this person. She's awesome." And um, yeah, it turned out that Ann Westbrook was your former neighbor, and and now we are actually working together on the um, on the Bridge Park board. So that the relationship continues uh, ever deeper. The more I um, spend time with Cherie, the more I. The more I learn, the more I want to want it to grow myself in this project. 
Absolutely. So I, I love Richmond for that. Like if you, there's about one degree of separation from everybody, right? So if you know person, you know somebody who knows somebody. Um, but just wanted to get a little background on your collective story. But tell me, it's so the first question to start out. I like to understand, you know, people's why for what they do, right? So we can talk about your 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 views all day long, which we will talk about. But I, I love to understand people's why because it gives me a perspective for you know why you think the way you think and and what's your perspective on racial equity enrichment. So why don't you start, Sheree? Like, what's your what's your why? What was a pivotal moment? in your life that led you do the current work you do, particularly the politics and the, the environmental justice work? Yeah, so what's interesting is that I worked at American Forest for about a decade, um, doing environmental education and programming over there. And of course there were so few people of color on staff in which I was the only at least black person who actually was doing something outside of kind of an operationals role. And what that looks like was me continuously advocating for projects directly impacting people. So it's a conservation organization, but my voice, my role, I'm always like, okay, but what are we doing to help people? And I distinctly remember doing a planting project in Southeast DC off of um, Malcolm X Boulevard. And it's, it's a little rough down there. It's, it definitely has changed a lot. But what was so great about that planting project where the neighbors were so grateful to have us out there. And as the staff was talking to the community about just the ecological benefits of trees, it was a bit high level and I could tell it was high level, like folks, their eyes were starting to gloss over. But this one woman, she came up to me with her young son and she said, you know, thank you so much for doing this. I'm so excited for the trees to grow bigger because it's going to provide shade on my walk to the bus stop and to the metro station in the morning. And on top of that, when we were talking about this, the, the air quality, like trees cleaning the air, she was like, oh my goodness, we need that so much because both of her sons had asthma. Mm, she really humanized it. She really humanized it. And I'm over here sitting there kind of in an a-hole thinking like, oh, I know about the science of trees and conservation. Mm. And Homegirl just brought it down for me. And I just thought that was so, I needed that moment because it grounded me even more in that work because it's like, what are we doing if, if we're not doing it for people and the earth's inhabitants? It's one thing to um, talk about conservation and environmentalism or even environmental justice in an academic sense. Yep. It's another to have a, be able to have a conversation with people and understand the tangible benefits for why we're doing this work. So I've always carried that story with me throughout all of my work, not just in the environmental space, but just showing up as a resident um, of this area and as a citizen of this planet. I just think it's important for us to always be mindful of how we show up for people in our communities every single day. I love that. And some of my engagement work, I'm like, what's the so what, who cares, right? So all right. of the you know, whatever ease or the jargon, people are like, how is this going to impact my life? And she was like, it's going to clean the air and I'm going to have some shade, right? Exactly. And, right? How do we humanize it and really connect to the needs, the impact on people? I love that. 
What about you, Ted? So you went from corporate America to doing Bridge Park stuff. Like, what's what's your why? Like, what was a moment in that you can point to that kind of led you to this work? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get way back. Um, so right. when I uh, when my family moved here when I was four years old, um, which I'm not gonna date myself, but it wasn't that long ago. Um, the uh, there was a, at least an implicit and prop and probably explicit and maybe not legal, but certainly extra legal requirement at the time that real estate agents were to tell people if uh, to tell a buyer that if there were a black family living in the neighborhood. And the um, real estate agent failed to do so uh, to my parents and either not necessarily as a result, but um, through whatever reason, um, we grew up next door to a black family. Um, and that really forever shaped me. Um, I, um, I uh, would always sort of um, look up to this person. Um, I would brag to my friends that I live next door to him. Um, we would throw the football um, out in the, in the front yard together. Um, I continue to learn from him today. Um, Eventually, as I got a little bit older, uh, this gentleman applied to join the country club in our town, in our little neighborhood, and was denied admission because he is black. Um, this uh, this black man is a member of the NFL Hall of Fame, um, one of the most accomplished Richmonders um, that there that exists. Um, and to me, that uh, moment really kind of shaped what it meant for me to be proximate to people that don't look like me um, or aren't from where I'm from um, and how I might learn something different and see the world differently because of those experiences. Um, and uh, Willie Lanier is his name, uh, Mr. Lanier, I call him. Um, and I continue to learn from him, continue to look to him. And he's a, he's a big leader, both in um, health and finance and uh, community development. He's having a football field named after him at Virginia Union, which he took the opportunity to, um, to, uh, to, to create football, uh, new football fields at HBCUs all across the country. And so he, uh, he and I still talk um, quite a bit, um, but that moment and that, that mere act. Um, and if you think about had that um, still been in place or still um, existed for a lot of people, they wouldn't have had that experience that I had and wouldn't have grown um, because of that. Um, and so it, it is, it's effect, it affected in a big way who my, uh, who my teachers and mentors and heroes uh, are today and, and what they look like. Yeah, could could you just talk a little bit just about how that experience has shaped, you know, your work at Bridge Park? Yeah, so it has, um, you know, both with Bridge Park and, and, and everything else I try to do, um, you know, it turns out uh, that most of my closest advisors on the project and closest friends in general are people of color. Um, and I think that, you know, that is was reflected in kind of how, how I grew up and in that specific experience, many, many others, of course, but um, I do like that story. Um, and I, I sort of fully realized it because um, we were talking about restrictive covenants in this class that um, mm -hmm. 
Dr. Julian Hader and I uh, co-teach at the University of Richmond. And um, he's another example of someone where um, always learning from, um, and there's many, many people around Bridge Park who, um, who, uh, who, who have spoken into the project in a big way because of, you know, my, that I, I think because that my mind had sort of changed and having had that wonderful experience and bragging to my kids or to my friends about it, um, counsels me to seek out relationships that are that are a bit um, unusual for you know some people who look like me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, you reached out to me too, and my job in working with you was to reach out to other folks to try to build those particular relationships. And the Shuri you you shared, Shuri, how did that how does that form your work here in Richmond and in uh, Southside Relief in particular? It's interesting. Because when I moved to moved back to Richmond, I should say in 2017, I lived in DC for about a decade. And then I was in Australia for a little bit. And um, I had a choice whether I wanted to move back to the Richmond area or if I wanted to move to Pittsburgh or DC. And I ended up here because I felt like this was home. Um, you know, I grew up in Ashland, but my family's from here. And so when I came back, I really was just trying to figure out how to get involved and make my voice heard. Definitely wasn't thinking that I was going to, you know, start a, a whole nonprofit <laughs> in that time period. <laughs> um, but there are just these gaps. There are gaps in our systems, in, the, in our infrastructure and processes. And in particular, in the South Side, South Richmond, where you could just walk around and you're like, what is going on here? Why does I walk like this? You know, why do we have flooding? It, it rained recently. And I'm just sitting there thinking, I'm holding my breath because I just don't want for folks' yards and roads to be flooded out again. Um, and these are systemic failures. It does not matter. I can plant all the trees I want, right? But it's trees are not going to solve the racial um, discrimination that has been put in place and codified because of Jim Crow era laws and redlining and urban renewal. So throughout, like throughout my professional career and even just through my advocacy and activism over time, I've just tried to just show up wherever I can and I know that everyone has their own skill set. My skill set happens to be communications. That's, that's where I'm situated at the moment. How can we message things? Um, how can we go to city council or the general assembly and advocate for stuff? What does that government relations look like? And probably more importantly for me, I always want to empower people. I don't always need to be the loudest voice in the room. I don't need to be at the head of the table. I just want to make sure that folks who look like me and share my experiences have all the tools that they have to show up for themselves and to advocate for themselves. And that is something that I just carry through throughout all of my work. So like listening to you, Ted, and you're talking about like your childhood. And I think about that because I'm like, those experiences really do shape us. And it's like, well, what if, what if you weren't living in that neighborhood? Who would, who would you be today? Would you have arrived at that point? 
maybe yes, maybe no, we don't know. Right. And so I guess for me, I just want to always ensure that there is exposure, there's enlightenment, enlightenment, there's education and awareness about these issues that like for the kids who may be in neighborhoods who don't have trees, that doesn't have to just be your everyday reality. And I want them to know that doesn't have to be your everyday reality. Your neighborhood could have community gardens and nice sidewalks and lighting, and it's safe for you to walk to school. How do we make that happen? I'm going to pause. I'm rambling right now. like All of the things. No, no. I love what you're saying too. And you, you kind of jumped into, you know, the next question of, you know, what are the biggest in, inequities that you see in Richmond? And from what you said, particularly on the South side, that the whole infrastructure, right? The, the reality that you know, it's hotter, it flood, floods more, they don't have as many sidewalks in certain parts of the city. And those certain parts of the city seem to be the exact same parts that were redlined, the exact same places where black and brown people predominantly live. And so it's systemic racism that kind of, it looks like a conspiracy, right? On our, on our actual landscape in, mm-hmm. in our community. So but love for y'all to talk, like what are the biggest inequities that you see in our community? Um, you know, you both have been here for a while and then Shree, you've come back. What do, you, what do you all see as some of the biggest inequities, both in our community at large, but also in the work that you do? Yeah, yeah, it is a conspiracy, by the way. It doesn't just look like one. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I think for, for me, similarly, it is, it is the, the public realm um, that was intentionally designed to separate people. And we know that that, um, and, and when you see, you know, when you see uh, the South side or you see someone walking, you know, let's say you see a young man walking on the South side without a shirt on, you think, well, why is he doing that? Well, cause it's freaking hot <laughs> and a lot hotter than it is in my, uh, my neighborhood or in a lot of parts of Richmond. And so um, it's, if you look at Richmond, um, for me, the, the built environment is really doing a lot of work to separate people and to keep people down um, and to affect their results of life. Um, And if you look, you know, there's cities all across America where redlined and urban renewal and annexed and, um, you know, all the things highwayed. Um, But in Richmond, it's on such a, Richmond is a a bit of a smaller city. um, And so you can see very discreetly and very acutely how that works um, as you move from mile to mile or block to block, um, you see very different um, conditions, whether that's trees or heat or sidewalks or infrastructure, schools or gardens or um, roads. Um, and if you if, if you look at the look at those those inequities within the built environment, that then of course translates into um, first of all, it's not being together, not interacting, partly because. Uh, there are these direct um, block, things blocking us. You know, it's almost like walls separating different neighborhoods and communities. Uh, and then there are deleterious results of these things. You know, proximity, growing up um, proximate to a highway uh, affects your, your, your lifespan. Um, same with heat and lack of green space uh, and lack of connectivity to jobs. And so to me, in, in, in my work, much like Cherie, 
um, with Southside Relief and, and of course with Bridge Park together is, is focused on that, thinking about these moments in the built environment that have were designed purposefully to separate us um, and how they might be redesigned to connect us and bring us together. Um, and I, you know, sort of get into that a little bit more later, but um, I, I mean that in sort of a, a, a few different ways and maybe that's the next question, but um, that is sort of what I view is, and I'm sort of focused on in terms of inequity is, um, is the built environment. Yeah, well, you know, that's my jam. I'm a urban planner and that's actually why I got into urban planning because when I went from my community to a community that was white north of mine, the, the, the landscape absolutely changed. It looks like completely different. And all we did was cross the barriers we talked to. It's literally crossing the tracks. So that you can see that enrichment as you go to community, uh, community to community. Sheree, what, what do you have to add to that? What do you see the inequities in our city? First, I just want to shout out the fact that you're a Black woman in urban planning. (laughs) That is, listen, you want to talk about inequities. Okay, let's talk about what and who urban planners are and what they look like. So that's one. We'll just start off there. So thank you for doing what you do and being in this space because you're absolutely needed. Um, to, (laughs) To Ted, to like his point there, the purpose, purposeful like design for neighborhoods to fail because that's what we're talking about, right? And these this didn't happen in a vacuum. People made these decisions. Mm-hmm. Individuals said, you are worthy and you are not worthy. And for those folks who are not worthy, they depleted, deprived, exploited neighborhoods of resources. So in addition to the infrastructure, but we're also talking about grocery stores, pharmacies, banks, home ownership, schools. I mean, all of this, right? So like for the environment, the built environment that Ted is talking about, all of that plays a role into a person's well-being, into how they see themselves, the value that they have in themselves as well. And I, I think that it's beyond time to rectify that with more investments in these communities. Because here again, we can say all the things, we should do X, Y, and Z, and one, two, three. I'm always like, show me the money. Okay. You know, it's just like, how much is is a city or locality going to invest in actually addressing these these issues to propose solutions. Um, Let's talk about political capital. There's also inequities there. So it's like, who is actually showing up for you in elected office? And I know that gets kind of like dicey for people, but if you don't have an advocate who's showing up for you, who's banging the table and say, no, my constituents and my neighbors need these things, folks are going to still go without. And we see that time and time again throughout the political process. And in the environmental space, I also want to highlight there is a lack of access to funding for a lot of these projects. So if you are more of a large scale organization, you have the capacity with staff, you can have grant writers. Well, everyone doesn't, they don't have that. Doesn't mean that you don't have good ideas, but it's like, 
if you're working a full-time job and we we see this all the time a lot of this work is community-based it's volunteers amy and i we're technically volunteers right we have full-time nine to five jobs so thinking about who has access to resources who's advocating, how we advocate for things, what what does that capital look like, social, political, economic capital? And then for, you know, I always want to just holding people accountable. Hmm. History says, history has shown us these man-made disasters because they are man-made disasters. This was not mother nature that just came through like a hurricane. These were decisions that I'm were like, made. I'm gonna have to use that man-made disasters. They they are, and it, and it did not have to be. It does not have to be that way. If you think about emergency response training, um, there are like four categories with emergencies, and when a hurricane comes through or a tornado, you'll have FEMA that look at like relief and recovery, and there's always a focus on relief and recovery, and that's fine. But it's the mitigation and the prevention that's often left behind. And so I like to think within the environmental space, let's build that social resilience in as well for the mitigation and the prevention part so we can stop seeing these inequities continue to grow over time. Absolutely, not just, a, you know, going upstream, right? There's, a, you know, the story of like, we catching babies or are we going upstream and say, why are the babies in the stream in the first right. place, right? right. So let's go upstream and do some of that work. So you got right into solutions. I'm solution oriented myself, you know, both defining the problem and offering uh, solutions. So that's really the the last question, right? And it's a two part question about one sentence. If you were to define like, what's your vision for racial equity enrichment? And then, you know, what are a couple of strategies that we need to employ as a community in order to get there? Oh, dun, 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 one sentence. That's hard. I'll, I'll give you maybe two. two That's sentences. fine. See, you, you okay. say one, people will say three, you meet in the middle. It's fine. Um, first, I see Bridge Park as an opportunity to connect neighborhoods through green space. And I would like for more people to buy into the idea that we can use green spaces to bring Mm -hmm. folks together. And I don't mean that in just like a kumbaya way. I mean, to have, to celebrate art and culture and history, to know that we're doing something good for the environment and reducing our footprint, um, to know that there's a transportation component as well. So it's connectivity and mobility. I think that's gonna be an excellent solution for that. So one, Bridge Park. And then, but secondly, to your question, Ebony, about racial equity, my my hope is that regardless of where you live, regardless of the financial economic circumstances that you are born into, that you have every opportunity in life to thrive, Mm. that you have an amazing education, you have safe housing, you're able to get around the city, you can have access to healthy foods, as well as healthcare and medical services that you need, that there is nothing precluding you from having the most amazing, healthy, safe life that you possibly can. And for me, that is what racial justice looks like. Love that. Racial equity, I should say. Well, racial justice, racial equity, it's moving towards the same thing, right? All of those things that you said that, that we don't have these particular barriers, regardless of who you are or where you live, right? That you can thrive, that there aren't these 
drastic differences, like 20 years in life expectancy from one neighborhood to the other, which is literally, it's life or death. Mm -hmm. Literally life or death. Any thoughts on what Teresa, Ted, or your own thoughts on your vision and how do we get there? Yeah, that was really beautifully said. I, I did want to follow up on one thing she said about these being man-made disasters. Mm. Um, that's literally quite true. Um, and you could add the word white, um, the adjective <laughs> in front of it too. Um, and so I do think um, if you think about these being as uh, things that were done by people, uh, well, they must be undone by people. And if you think it's too hard, or if you think that's out of the scope of what we're supposed to be doing with our lives, well, the people who brought a different set of biases to bear didn't think so. And they went and built the environment the way they thought it should be built. And if we come to Richmond in this case with a heart for social justice and with, for social um, cohesion and um, everything else and, and, to, and togetherness, um, then, then we ought to take that uh, attitude and that bias to bear on the decisions that we make and they're big, they're big moves. You know, they had highways tear through uh, historically black neighborhoods as major projects in their lives. And so what, what do our major projects look like? And what um, heart, what does it reflect about our hearts? And how do we do that? And so I think um, if, if people did, did these things, it's up to people to undo these things. Um, and to answer your question about uh, my view of, of racial equity, I, I'm gonna, I'm going to not just do one sentence, but one word in the hope that uh, I'll get a little. <laughs> um, it's not so gracious because it's, it's, it's you know, there's going to be some expanding upon it um, okay. afterwards. But for me, my my word, I think it just slipped out is togetherness. Mm -hmm. um, and so I mean that in a few ways. I, you know, I started with that story about Mr. Lanier um, because of how that affected um, me. And I think um, if you think about, for example, like the folk festival uh, three or four times a year where we're all together, we're all experiencing each other's culture. We're all sort of seeing new things being challenged um, and together. And so I mean that in a quite literal way, together, passing someone who doesn't look like you, learning from someone who doesn't look, look like you, learning how they worship or storytell or teach or run or um, make a piece of art or speak or uh, lead. Um, so togetherness in that sort of very specific sense. And then I, I talked also a lot about from a physical space togetherness of the built environment. And so it's currently very separated. And so as Sheree alluded to how through projects like Bridge Park and, and others who are doing similar things, can we bring that city together? And that's quite important. And then the last piece of that, which is less physical and more economic, is these, these uh, massive disparities, particularly between black and white. How do we bring those closer together? Um, and these gaps of wealth and health outcomes and um, little things like trees um, and heat. How do we start to bring those closer together um, in terms of results and in terms of um, from economics and, and and impacts. Um, and so that, I think that work togetherness kind of works a lot for um, my vision on, on a few different levels. Yeah, it's like knitting the city back together, but in, in so many ways, I, I love that, just the imagery of mm. that. And as you both were talking, I was thinking about where in the place, because Richmond is particularly segregated socially, you know, the places where I have seen the most 
you know, diverse populations just interacting together or the diversity of people interacting together are outside. Like I go down to the things that happen on Browns Island or particularly the Tyler Potterfield Bridge. And I see old people, young people, black people, white people, Asian people, and nowhere else besides those spaces. Am I, everybody, every other space is like completely black or completely white, right? The other spaces and, you know, you're onto something about this outside public spaces and even, you know, at uh, Marcus Davis Peters Circle last year, you know, that would just, that, I'm so, I'm so sad that they, they like fenced it off because it was such a dynamic place where you just saw people of faith out there, people dancing, people playing basketball. It just became this dynamic public space where people were just being and expressing the fullness of who they are. And so we need more spaces that are, I love, the, you know, knitting our city back together, but because it's so bifurcated and segregated. And I love that what you said about what it, what are the big projects of our time, right? So we know about the highway going through Jackson Ward, of course, urban renewal just swept through our country. You know, what are the big projects of our time that we're gonna be proud of, right? We have lots of projects that are big infrastructure projects that we're not proud of. What are the big projects that we're proud of? I think that that's a, just a key and central question to think about that will transform the soul, literally the, and knit together the soul of our city. So I just love the, the thinking about that, right? Nice. Any, other, any other thoughts about strategies or things that we can do, whether you work, you know, you're an individual or work in a nonprofit or thinking about these things as y'all come across just change makers, understand Richmond. Are there any other strategies that you kind of wanted to highlight or things for people to think about as we collectively pursue racial equity in Richmond? I would like for everybody in all of their work to identify the barriers that they may have even within like themselves or their own organizations. And so if you're, for example, if you're offering a class, is it free? Is it in the evenings? Is it on a, a route where it's accessible by public transit? Just those little things. Is it multilingual? So they're, even for the best of us, and those are questions that I ask myself, like, am I perpetuating any barriers that really should be torn down to make um, our green spaces more accessible for people? Yeah, I love that. And and those are small things and, and choice points that you can ask yourself every day, regardless of what you're doing, right? How accessible yeah. and who 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 does this benefit and who who does it burden? And how can we remove those particular barriers? Anything you'd like to add, Ted? Yeah, I think I, I'll, I'll throw in there just awareness. And this is one thing that's so great about what you're doing. And, and um, Duran, some others that, with whom you're working is, it's really key for people to know this history and to know where we are. You know, we, um, I mentioned this class uh, at the University of Richmond, it's called uh, Reimagining Richmond. And we, we'd start by telling this sort of true history of Richmond um, and these, you know, largely uh, white students of privilege at the University of Richmond, their minds are just blown at these crazy things that we're telling them about our, our town. Um, and then we asked them at the end of the class to respond in some way. 
Um, and I think, um, you know, we use Bridge Park as sort of a, a vehicle for them to say, well, how would you interrogate the Bridge Park project or what would you do or, you know, what sort of action would you take? And I think the key of that is that once you know the history of Richmond, a lot of which we've talked about today, um, once you know that, unless you, you're almost burdened with that knowledge, unless you lack a shred of moral fiber, you're absolutely forced to do something about it. And so I think that first step is, is really awareness and truth telling. Yeah, I love that. Like you can't solve a problem that you don't know is there, right? Or, or even, even in your own personal transformation, you have to be honest and tell the truth about what happened. I think we're actually getting a lot better at that as a nation, but definitely as a city of, of telling the story of our sordid past, right? How can we take the title of the former capital of the Confederacy and turn it into something else, right? And we don't know what that something else would be, but hopefully something more dynamic and inclusive and, and equitable, right? That for the future of Richmond, so. Well, thank you uh, for just coming on today, for sharing your thoughts. You both are both dynamic individuals and I just love talking to people that are out there trying to get things done, that are actually doing things within the community, but specifically trying to transform Richmond. Like I said, I'm an urban planner. So I love, you know, projects that transform or trying to transform physical space. So I just thank y'all for the work that y'all are doing in the community. Thank you for your time and wisdom that you're offered here today. Any closing comments that y'all want to have before we, we sign off? Ted, go ahead and drop that contact information for folks <laughs> to learn more about Bridge Park. Yeah, yeah, bridgeparkrva.com. But now I'm just um, thankful for um, for being here and being included and being um, you know part of this amazing thing that you're building, Ebony, and and just always an honor to be with Sheree as well. So I'm just thankful. Well, no, this, is, you, this is great. Stay connected to Bridge Park, like Ted said. I'm the I'm the comms professional here, so I wouldn't. <laughs> If I didn't shout out those those socials or whatever, Google's be on all the, the platforms. Um, and self-side relief too. Don't and self-side self relief as well. And that's R-E-L-E-A-F, like a leaf. You can find us across all social media platforms, southsiderelief.org. But I just want to say thank you so much, Ebony, for, for having us both on to talk about this. And I hope this isn't the last time because I feel like we can unpack a lot more in future discussions. Oh, absolutely. Hopefully this is the beginning of the discussion to just catalyze more conversation and that conversation can actually catalyze change. So thank you all for being on. This is another episode of Racial Equity Enrichment. I'm your host, Ebony Walden. Until next time, thank y'all and goodbye.